0: Sambutas <tries> and not more tasa, Bakawato, Arahatur, some more Sambutas and not more tasa, Bakawato, Arahatur, some more Sambutasa, Aparutade Sangamatastavara, Ye Sodawanta Bamunjantu Satang. Saturday evening, and chance to uh, listen to a reflection on the Dhamma. Uh, the Dhamma is the the way things are, which is not me telling you how it is. but uh, Not I'm going to tell you how it is, but it's more like a reflection, meaning a contemplating experience in the present, and it's basically. Your own experience, uh, because uh, experience is always in the present. We we're always here and now, and therefore uh, this mindfulness, paying attention, uh, being awake, uh, observing, being a witness, uh, contemplating, reflecting pondering, wondering, these kind of words convey the, this uh, way of the Buddha which is a way of awakened awareness looking into, observing, examining and the contrast to that is the conditioning of the mind where we're, we're kind of uh, we receive uh, all the kind of views, opinions Ideas uh, that from our culture, from our religion, uh, society, ethnic background, everything uh, we we take on that we get it becomes a part of our our uh, perceptual conditioning. Uh, and we, once we acquire that load, then if we don't question it or ponder or examine it into life, then we tend to interpret experience always from certain biases, certain assumptions, prejudices, attitudes, uh, various distortions that we have, we, we've acquired from, from the conditioning process. So this is why this is the, the awakened awareness that we're using, rather than trying to uh, convert you to Buddhism or to to try to program you with Buddhist ideas. That's not what what the Buddha uh, intended. He just that didn't. He never thought of people becoming Buddhists. I don't think he saw them as awakening to the truth. So, therefore, he, he didn't really uh, try to uh, talk or describe things that were beyond experience that we couldn't observe in a direct way. Uh, and therefore, the, the uh, essential teaching was based on suffering, which is ordinary, isn't it? Suffering is the common bond we all share. So uh, suffering is uh, the first noble truth and we and through examination, through reflecting and understanding our own suffering we we realize the way of non suffering. This way of non suffering is the eightfold path, uh then is uh that w- then that allows us to live our lives in a way that we are not creating delusions or not misleading, not going, uh, operating from uh, biases, from prejudices, from views and opinions that we're holding. We're not supporting all the uh, kind of ignorance, the stupidity uh, that oftentimes our cultures uh, instill in us in which um, many of our you know we can see around us in the world how how much chaos confusion corruption war and strife is caused through uh, not awakening to the truth then we operate according to the conditioning the the conditioned process And I think this is what attracts most of w- the Western uh, people to Buddhism at this time, because uh, it, we don't really have such a teaching of our own uh, that I that I know of. In, in say Western civilization, most of our uh, institutions are more or less a programming ones, where you operate from beliefs. Uh, ideas uh, uh, assumptions made and you're very much identified with uh, say the body with your what you look like with your, the color of your skin with the gender of your body with the uh, class that you were born into and the ethnic uh, identities and so we have we have all these problems around the Endless problems around uh, people's attachments to these various uh, conditions, but if you awaken to the present, then this awakenness isn't uh, isn't cultural. It's not personal even. Uh, it's like just waking up. And suddenly you. Uh, You're paying attention. And it isn't coming from from an idea of attention. You're not trying to become somebody who's paying attention. You're not trying to become a Buddha by paying attention. But just the simple uh, ability we have to say, listen, pay attention in the present. So mindfulness is the way that the Buddha used. Using uh, sati sampachanya developing wisdom around the experiences that we have in life, and the uh, the kind of brilliant uh, approach through examining the, the the characteristics of the conditioned realm that affects us so strongly all the time. Mm-hmm. Because we we do, we're easily influenced and intimidated by the conditions of the present. By our own memories, our own uh, feelings, our emotional habits. Uh, just the the things that happen. What other people say. What we think they say. What we think other people think. Uh, what we remember. Uh, we, it gets very complicated, doesn't it? Because we could spend a whole day worrying about what somebody thinks about me. What I think somebody thinks about me. I've seen myself do this. But Buddhism, um, like any other religion, uh, suffers from the fact that it it has been institutionalized, and over two thousand five hundred forty-one years, uh, it's you know it, every institution, every convention, acquires a lot of things uh, that have been added to it, and it's easy to start worshiping the convention rather than using it. No, you know you get Buddhism and you get all kinds of Buddhist ideas and Buddhist conflicts you know different sects different approaches different teachings different ethnic approaches and within every uh, form of Buddhism in every Buddhist country there's different sects different groups that oftentimes have strong views uh, and prejudices against each other because you end up grasping the the convention, they say I'm a Theravadan Buddhist, or and then that that by uh, identity with that you uh, it makes you uh, you, it, you feel anything that is doesn't quite align itself within within that perception, then is something uh, you can uh, you tend you can easily uh, dismiss. Or you acquire every every form of Buddhism has its in, has its prejudices about the other forms or about other religions, but then this is this is the this is the limitation of the conventional world as long as we don't understand and see and know conventions as conventions or conventional reality as just that as impermanent as a Nietzsche. Uh, if we don't really investigate and contemplate anicca Nietzsche impermanence transiency changeability uh, as experience not not as an idea we're not talking about anicca as some idea that everything's changing but we're actually contemplating the experience of change this is what Vipassana meditation is about you're actually uh, observing right now because things are changing right now you don't have to have a theory about it you can watch the ther- you know it as it is whatever you're thinking feeling uh, seeing, hearing smelling tasting touching remembering all mental conditioning physical conditioning I mean we might look at the floor and think that's a stone floor and it looks solid and like it's not changing but then you hear even scientists say that everything's in a process of continuous change even though you can't maybe see it with, with your eye so but we don't need to know about it. we don't need to know whether the the, the stone floor is actually uh, uh changing in any way right now. <laughs> But observing the changingness that, that we can uh, that we ha- that we're experiencing that that is ordinary, say the ordinary changingness, say of mental states, of what you're feeling, what you're thinking, what you're remembering, uh, how your body feels, uh, the, the the nature of sound or smell, taste or touch. Of s- what you see, so to, to observe change is, is, is you put yourself in a state of a, a kind of contemplative, reflective state. You're watching. You're like a witness. You're not. You're not trying to uh, prove anything or. Or project the idea of impermanence onto experience, but just notice in a state of of, uh, of awareness in the present. And of course, this they uh, just with with uh, with say thought or feeling or emotion. It's a different way of of experiencing. The present, isn't it? because usually we're caught up in either indulging or suppressing, resisting, exaggerating, getting carried away by what we're feeling, what we're seeing, hearing, smelling, tasting, touching, and thinking. So it's all we get uh, wound up and caught up into it. And if it gets too much, then we will just want to. Sometimes we sit here in a meditation hall, just trying to to stop it all. You know, shut, close your eyes sit there and just me- try to shut down because you, you've you been too, you're overstimulated. There's too much chaos going on. So uh, mindfulness isn't shutting down, uh, isn't closing off and trying to control, but observing that very desire, that very uh, feeling of, of wanting things to be different wanting to get rid of the confusion you're feeling wanting to attain something that you don't have yet wanting to become wanting to get wanting to get rid of so all conditioned phenomena is impermanent and this is a statement the buddha made uh, that that for reflection, not for grasping. Now, in doing this, uh, you're working on what every level that that you're experiencing, whether it's subtle, whether it's just a slight movement of uh, of a, of a thought or a feeling in the body, or uh, no matter how subtle or how coarse or how important or how trivial, uh, how grand or how uh, insignificant uh, the condition is, is not the point anymore. We're not here comparing or choosing or preferring or, or taking sides. We're just observing. So that, that's putting us into a, into a state of, of uh, say, receptivity an awakened awareness, in which we're not—we're not here to to um, judge or evaluate or analyze, but to notice, to pay attention. And that, of course, uh, as we look at, say, the external objects uh, that we see, or the sounds that we hear, or the odors that we smell, or the tastes that we taste, or the Uh, feelings of heat and cold, pleasure and pain in the body. But also, you can observe just the the kind of feelings you have in your guts. Uh, The kind of uh, fears, uh, the uh, various desires, the aversion, the hatred, the anger, uh, doubt and worry, anxiety, all these kind of emotional states we're now relating to, as observers, rather than uh, ones who analyze, make judgments, pronouncements, and and, uh, try to control or try to resist or get rid of. And to be able to do this uh, properly, you have to feel a sense of confidence and trust. In the process of meditation, in meditation, you need a refuge because, especially on the emotional level, uh, emotions are overwhelming. Sometimes, and get some strong things like fear, for example, just can, you know, if you don't have a refuge, uh, whenever you're frightened, you you just you know you can only run away. It's too much to bear. But if you have a refuge, then you feel you can you can look at those kind of emotions because you you you, you have a, a trust in something uh, that is say, ineffable that you can't it isn't like a a place or a thing but it's an intuitive realization now in my own experience there's a practicing over these many years, Buddhist meditation, this trust in the refuges of Buddha Dhamma Sangha. Now this is the conventional form that we use um, uh, in, in our traditions. They take refuge in the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha. At first this didn't particularly mean anything very much to me. It's just, uh, you know, what Theravada Buddhists said when they, when they you know, when they did things, they say, "I take refuge in the Buddha, Bhutong and 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 so it was uh, uh, it was like a formula, a ceremony, uh, but it uh, it didn't really uh, it didn't reach anything very deep until later on, when I began to to really uh, know that the refuge, what what refuge really meant, when I began to contemplate. That Even that concept of refuge. Because I could see in my own practice that if I just operated from me, from this position of me trying to, uh, you know, kind of solve my own problems and uh, work out my own, uh, uh, you know, work out the solutions and this kind of self-enlightenment thing that w- that Westerners love. You know, I can... Do it all by myself and and work out my problems so that I can be a a normal well adjusted happy kind of person that i i could I could only go so far with that and then there were certain things that i couldn't really face because i didn't have any trust uh, there was a certain level of th- especially on the emotional level things that that would uh, that I couldn't, you know, didn't couldn't deal with because there wasn't a refuge I didn't have enough confidence, enough faith to be able to to observe them without getting intimidated frightened or just caught up in, in, in those conditions so in the um Fortunately, in monastic life, you you do have this very strong conventional form <coughs> that does have its uh, effect, or uh, well, that you do it does uh, really um, even if even if you resist it a lot, it still has strong effect. <laughs> because if you go around shaving your head, you know every every other day, and uh, like I do and uh, wearing these uh, ridiculous robes for 30 years <laughs> and uh, and and then saying these things Bhutang are Nangachami and giving people these refuges uh, then just and also because one is practicing one is looking into one is observing so sometimes at first, uh, say, the conventional form, say, a monastic life can be quite... You just do it because that's what everybody says. You're supposed to do it like this. You're supposed to act like that. And you're supposed to wear your robe like this. And, and you're supposed to sit like this. And that's what you do. And, and you do it uh, out of uh, conformity. Uh, but then you don't, you know, you, you, one isn't unless you're, you know, really not listening to the dumb at all, you're not just into blind conformity as, a, as an end in itself, that's not a refuge but you're actually observing yourself as you as you uh, uh, the process of, of living and experiencing within the conventions that, that we've chosen to use Now, the word Buddha also was that I, w- I was uh, interested in Buddhism long before I became a monk. Uh, and, and I really liked the idea of Buddha and uh, the, the whole, the whole uh, Buddhist uh, uh, kind of philosophy. And, and that really uh, appealed to me uh, intellectually and aesthetically. Uh, and but it hadn't until I became a monk and practiced i didn't really uh it didn't go much deeper than more of a kind of of a of an appreciat- intellectual appreciation for it so but that get that was the thing that got me started was a kind of a basic kind of interest and fascination and attraction to the uh, to the Buddhist teaching and then later on going to Thailand and becoming uh, and, be- and and really feeling a strong attraction to that country liking that country a lot so taking an interest in the uh, uh, Theravada form because I started out with, with the Zen rather than the Theravada but then the word Buddha over the years has become something that uh, you know is a word that really uh, means a lot it's a powerful word has tremendous impact on my consciousness where in the beginning it didn't when in the forest tradition of northeast Thailand, they, they used the uh, mantra puto, which is a mantric form of the, the, the name of the Buddha. But in Thai, it comes out like poo, rather than, and, and, and it comes out poo to and it, and so, they told me I should chant poo-toe, poo and toe and I didn't have any feeling for that. I remember trying to get interested in poo to and it just sounded like two funny-sounding syllables, poo and toe. To an English-speaking person, poo sounds very funny, well, there's toe, so you <laughs> so I couldn't get very inspired by the mantra. <laughs> so when we were doing uh, anapanasati the the um, the you know where you do it with poo you go inhale on poo and exhale on toe I I just couldn't uh manage that at first. But I was into uh, letting go so I so I used let on the inhale and go on the exhale English words that meant something to me and they were English words and I realized that was that that I used that mantra where I couldn't uh, use the puto one but then as I contemplated uh, the meaning of the word Buddha uh, and not just just took it for granted that I understood it because uh, you know it's, uh, it's easy to to uh, to you know to get a definition and read the definition in the Pali dictionary but uh, actually to uh, what does it mean what is it now how does it apply to to experience right now you know if the Buddha is a refuge you take refuge in Buddha, do you take refuge in the memory of a dead sage? And that didn't particularly, you know, I couldn't take me, uh, refuge in the memory of somebody who was dead. So I couldn't be just referring back to the, uh, the sage, Gotama, the, the Buddha. It had to be much more uh, immediate and, and powerful than just some some sentimental uh, reference to somebody in the past that you never knew. Now then, you know, then we recite the qualities of the Buddha, and the uh, the uh, you know the, uh, the the awakened one, the accomplished one, the teacher of gods and men. The knower of the world. The one who knows. In Thailand they oftentimes translate it. The puto is the one who knows. The knowing. And so then this. Then I contemplated this state of. Uh, 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 this experience in the present. Of knowing. Because I realized that's what. What this. uh existence is about. The, this form here, this human form, is uh, a conscious form that experiences. So experience is always impinging as I observed. There's always things, you know, happening to it. And and therefore, uh, there's, a, there's a knowing of this. It feels like this. It is like this. So I began to do recognize that taking refuge in the Buddha wasn't just uh, a kind of uh, traditional uh, formula, but it actually Buddha is is the the very presence, the very being awake, the experience of being awake now, of awakenness in the present, So that. Then suddenly, the refuge in the Buddha wasn't was you know something I could really trust because it you know it's, it, that's something that once I began to recognize and realize that that's something you can do whatever's happening, whatever uh problems and difficulties and and the way you're feeling whether you're sick whether you're uh, things are going well, or things are going all wrong. Is that you can pay attention, you can listen, you can you can open your mind to the present. So then, the Puto or the Buddha then became something very practical and real that you that I that I that was uh, known. You know if you can trust then you then you read the the second uh tamang Theranangatami and take refuge in the dhamma You take refuge in uh in dhamma like um teachings or take refuge in, in teachings or take refuge in scriptures or take refuge in, <laughs> in uh I mean, it it seems vague, you know. What does Dhamma mean? What is Dhamma right now? In terms of, if it's a refuge, it can't be some object, like can't be ideas or teachings even, or scriptures. So then, you know, you bring in refuge, the Dhamma is the way it is now. And then you have these, these, uh, basic references to the way all conditions are impermanent all dhamma is not self so through this you actually uh, you know you're, you're, you're uh, the, the Buddha is ability to pay attention and be awake now observe the changingness of the conditions in the present of the mood, of the emotion, of the sensory experience, of the thought, of the feeling of the fear Mm -hmm. Uh, is fear permanent you know and you really start questioning you start what does it feel like i started what does fear feel like Is experience because before i just when i felt fear i tended to just resist it just automatic if if, that that emotion started getting into consciousness they, they just had a kind of automatic resistance or, w- or ways of of getting away. So instead of trying to just say, well, now I have a refuge. I can I, I I have refuge in Buddha, and I can see fear because fear is dhamma now. It's a condition. Fear is not uh, a permanent state. Uh, it's not uh, uh, you know anything other than uh, something that I- that condition that's changing. And so this refuge allows me now, if I awaken to this experience called fear and see it as Dhamma. Now this isn't trying to dismiss it either. You're not calling it Dhamma as a dismissal. You're you're calling it Dhamma in order to really observe it the way it is. What is fear like? What does it feel like? in your body when you're frightened what do you feel it in your body where do you feel it in your body what is it like do you do you you like it do you want to run away this questioning and kind of examining investigating the experience or kind of states like uh worry anxiety doubt because these are the things that used to haunt me in my life just a, a kind of anxiety that would hang around me even uh, even in the kind of uh, good times of my life you know i remember you know having really happy periods where everything was going well and then but there's always uh, this this anxiety that would also go along with it <laughs> And I used to think, why can't I just have fun and have pleasure and enjoy life without this, this kind of wretched thing hanging around, in a wet blanket, kind of, you know? How can I just have pure pleasure with, without any anxiety? I think the, the, when drugs start, I think everybody was thinking drugs will give you the, you know you can really experience pleasure totally without the other. Worry is uh, if you're, uh, you know, the in doubt, where you think a lot, and then you 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 can always imagine things, uh, you know, not getting what you want, uh, failing the examination, uh, missing out on something, worrying about the future, uh, worrying about what will happen to you, or uh, as you live more of your life, and then you. You, your actions aren't all that skillful there's a lot of guilt remorse about things that one said or has done in the past so the the past the a lot of we we can create a lot of of guilt you know a feeling of uh, regret and or a lot of resentment we can have a lot of resentment about injustices and unfairnesses that we've that have been done to us in the past Then the future. Is what's going to happen to me in the future? Worry. So in terms of Dhamma, we we can start you looking at this as the way it is that all these conditions worry, doubt, uh, anxiety, then what do they feel like? So I'd, I'd really try to to, uh, to just kind of really look at worry as experience, not try to get rid of it, but really uh, embrace it, really deliberately worry just to to observe, to get used to, to noticing worry as a, as a dhamma, as something that's going on right now, that's impermanent, so it's changing, from seeing it as my problem that you know thinking that you know if I were a normal kind of guy I wouldn't worry if I were well adjusted this idea of this this normal human being that, that doesn't have any of these problems not frightened of anything doesn't worry about anything uh, and when they do in ha- happiness they really enjoy kind of the the um, everything for what it is uh, this kind of romantic uh versions of of ideal men or ideal women but I've never met any of these ideal men or women (laughs) Uh, uh, I certainly you know and uh, you know realize that that I'm not alone in this uh, with these problems these are these are human problems So you can see, changing from this interpreting life from the self-view, which is a, "I'm worried, worried is my problem, I worry too much, I know I shouldn't," or "I'm anxious, I've these anxiety uh, uh, problems," or uh, "I'm never quite, I feel very insecure and uncertain about everything," or "I have a lot of fear," I or I, "I'm guilt-ridden and uh, and and have a lot of." Re- Resentments about things, uh, and I know I shouldn't be. I know that you know. I, maybe I should go through psychoanalysis, or I should, uh, you know, you know. I really need some some kind of uh, way of getting out of this because uh, I've got all these these emotional habits and emotional problems, and and that is that is the self-view. That's the 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 self way of, of interpreting those experiences and then in terms of the refuge, it's, you're you're not interpreting like that it's because of the Buddha uh, the refuge in awakened awareness knowing the Dhamma knowing that all conditions are impermanent and not self, anatta so then uh, you're Then you see things in terms of dhamma rather than in terms of self, and you can actually hear yourself thinking about uh, these are my problems. But that which hears, when you're that pure state of attention, that listens, uh, that is in that pure state of awareness, you can you can hear yourself thinking, "I have problems." So in in as you uh, explore this uh, more in a more subtle way you, it becomes very clear that that uh, thoughts uh, the the perceptions of i and me and mine are conditioned into the mind they arise and they cease the the emotions that we identify with that i have my problems my views my opinions are also impermanent and that which is aware has that steadiness to observe the changingness in the present. That pure state of awakened attention is sustainable so where you can actually uh, witness and observe the arising and ceasing of the self, of the personality, of the emotion, of the anxiety, of the fear, And that sustained awareness also is capable of observing the the cessation of it. So you're you're aware when the anxiety is present and when it ceases. Because that, that awareness is a sustainable, natural state of being before you become, before you start becoming or get born as this kind of person. This personality, this condition. Also, the the uh, sangha as a refuge. And so we we have the four pairs, the eight kinds of of noble beings. Uh, we have the stupatipano, ujupatipano, yaya patipano, samijipatipano. this so sangha is a is a term like community, means a group. Uh, or like the church in Christianity, a church, the Sangha uh not the building not the <laughs> when the christians talk about the church as a community then the um, four pairs the eight kinds of noble beings. this oftentimes puts it on such a you know a kind of elevated scale that we we think we have to take refuge in 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 four pairs eight kinds of noble beings <laughs> Uh, what does that mean in terms of experience right now? <laughs> so in uh, Sangha then is like Supatipanna, one who is uh, is practicing, one who is actually doing it, who's actually committed, made a commitment to paying attention, to observing, Doing good, refraining from doing uh, evil acts with the body or with speech, because uh, the sangha then is is like it's it's a human it's human beings it's uh, it's physical beings it's men it's women uh, it's us you know we we've got physical bodies and we can we can do uh, bad things with them we can do good things with our bodies or we can we can speak we can say terrible things or we can uh tell the truth uh, like that so the uh in terms of of how we relate uh to the to each other in the society in the community uh we make the determination to do good to, to our intention is to act on what is good and refrain from acting on what is bad But in terms of experience, sometimes we have good impulses. Sometimes we have bad impulses. But the uh, refuge in the Buddha Dhamma knows uh, these are impermanent and not self. So through, through contemplating, investigating, then we know that, that a good impulse is impermanent and not self. So is a bad impulse, bad thought, a good thought. Uh, arises and ceases but in terms of how we live our lives in the community then we do you know we do what is good so when we have impulses to be generous to to share what we have to um, be kind to each other to uh, do that which is uh you know virtuous in the in the society and that that what that's our act that's how we act that's how we relate that's how we live uh, with the planet with the with the society with the country with the group that we live with it doesn't mean that we always uh, have good feelings about it but it means that we d- the active and verbal sign is is to do good and, and speak that which is truthful and good, and to refrain from action. So there's a passive side, not acting, not speaking on bad or evil impulses or desires or thoughts. So this uh, this creates a a trusting community, isn't it, when you live together and you have a basic uh, agreement on how to live, to respect each other's property, to not harm each other, to uh, uh, to uh, not to tell lies to each other, not take advantage, exploit or abuse each other in any way, uh, to... Uh, then we we live in a community that we we uh we feel at ease with we can we can even though we may not always like or get along with everybody in the community we can trust them there's a common agreement of moral behavior that uh, that we that we use in which there is this uh, level of trust and respect that allows us to live together in 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 uh, you know, uh, in a respectful and and, uh, useful way. In my own life before I became a monk I was living uh, quite a hedonistic life in the United States. Uh, In the days in the early sixties when in Berkeley where where you know the idea with all the doors of of pleasure and experience were opening wide where there were no restrictions where the idea was I remember in Berkeley in 1960 with you know experience people would talk about experience they say just go out and experience everything and this and the word experience took on this kind of glamorous image you know people who'd who were you know suddenly given the permission carte blanche to just do whatever say whatever you felt like it was very attractive if you you know if you'd always felt you were inhibited and and uh, had to always kind of obey rules and live within limitations of of parental authority suddenly you're given you know, permission, just go out and experience. And I noticed living like that without responsibility uh, led to a lot of uh, self-hatred. Just being, I noticed after uh, a couple of years in that mode, I just couldn't stand myself. Uh, I had lost all respect for myself. So then uh, living as a monk you know, you're going to realize you're actually living in a way like a, for me anyway the, the monastic form is something I respected and so as I uh, lived within the restrictions and the, the boundaries and then monasticism of course is Buddhist monasticism is very kind of restrained it's not you know it doesn't give all that m- many options uh so it is. It is a kind of very restrained style uh, of lifestyle, but it uh, also is. Uh, I find within it uh, uh, the sense of respect comes up, of trust, trusting yourself, of living in a way that living in a way that I do respect, and I respect others for living in this way. So, so then that is a is a. Uh, as a refuge, living within the, the, you know, taking responsibility for your life, taking responsibility for action, for how how you live in this world, in this society, and trying to do what is good, refrain from doing what is not, is something I respect. I respect people that do things like that. So I respect myself uh, when I live in that way. So that is the, the refuge. In, in just a, a kind of maturing, maturity of, of, of um, living in a way that is worthy of respect. Then the, the practice to, uh, for enlightenment is by uh, paying attention. The Buddha knows the Dhamma, the truth of the way it is, the way things are. And then you realize that there is no self, there is no permanent self. Uh, There is Dhamma. No permanent self isn't like an annihilation of souls or of, of, uh, if if you're taking it, it can sound uh, like a kind of annihilationism or a nihilism. But if you're using it as reflection, rather than as an intellectual idea, then it, it doesn't end up in that way at all. It doesn't. It isn't annihilation, but it's it's fu- it's a it's a, a kind of uh, fulfillment of conscious experience within the human form, and you you actually uh, you know you feel a sense of of uh, of wholeness. Of oneness, rather than of this this isolated uh, ego, this sense of myself that is uh, that can where you know can get very alienated or very frightened by the all the possible invading other conditions that can attack it. But in terms of this open uh, receptivity to the present, mm, it's, it's like. Tuning into a universal rather than than uh, shutting everything out. So in just that simple uh, moment of awareness, the stodawanta, listening, state of attentive awareness in the present, the Contemplate that it's it's something quite ordinary. It's not not like a highly it's not a high attainment. Something we do all the time, but we don't notice. We 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 do it, but we we're not we we we're so easily caught up into uh, into the momentum of our habits, thoughts, and emotions in the present. But when you're really listening and watching without anything, without a kind of trying to, and anything in particular, but in that state of uh, uh, open awareness before uh, you become anything, try to reflect on that. Observe, notice. And if you keep doing that, then eventually you, you really begin to, to not make problems about your emotions, about what you've done in the past, about the future <laughs> Something, you know you, that whole way of, of uh, experiencing life is, is no longer uh, real. It, it kind of fades out. And you realize it's uh, just a, a kind of miserable mess of uh, a kind of like a net that you get stuck in. Uh, if you if you don't uh, and if you don't uh, reflect on it, then then you have to stay stuck in that in that nasty web: memories, thoughts, emotions, habits, fears, and desires. But as the Buddha said, there is a way, there is the escape from that, which is through awakeness. So this is the, um, now I'm thinking the, the last quarter of this year, the, the uh, equinox, was a few, couple of days ago. Autumn uh, to the winter solstice, ninety-seven. Just a uh, few months left, and uh, this, it'll be ninety-eight. The nineties just started, didn't they? <laughs> it's already 97's nearly over. <laughs> Time is is uh, is uh, is is a perception you know we things change conditions are time bound but but awareness isn't so you're you're tuning into the timeless apparent here and now timeless encouraging investigation leading onward uh, uh, reflect on the dhama to be known individually you have to find, you have to realize it yourself not a doctrine that I give you and then you you just believe in it you have to waken to it realized individually by oneself so I offer this as a reflection for you.